So what questions then, guys, you know, throw the ball in your in your court. What questions yeah. would you guys have for me? I mean, just a to- just totally open-ended, like whatever. Yeah. I'm throwing the talking rock your way. Yeah, I've got one thing I just want to throw out, uh, just a little funny, um, but it's serious too. Pastor Mark, you do you work out? Because your biceps have been bulging this whole video. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on, you guys? If you know me, even just a little bit, you'll know that I've always gone to church pretty much my whole life. I've always gone to the same church, as a matter of fact, and I've always been under the guidance of one pastor. That pastor has had a huge impact on my life. He's a wise man. He's very funny. The list goes on of compliments that I could give to him. What we figured is that we would get him on an episode of the podcast just to chop it up, see where his heart is, and just go from there. So with no further ado, let's hop right into that video. It's uh, great to be on here with you guys, and um, great to meet Houston. And of course, Aaron, I've known since you were a punk, so uh, it's been a long time. (laughs) Was yeah, a punk, just, which means well, I'm not you, one you were, anymore. Yeah, no, no, you're an adult punk now, so <laughs> uh, it's all different. So, anyway, that being the case, uh, I want to take a couple minutes, maybe, and just just throw a few thoughts in the air. But I I'm kind of really excited about getting a conversation going here. Uh, I want to talk about generational thinking, and that the think about the thing about thinking generationally is that it it applies really in two two aspects of life, probably more than that. But first of all, in the world of family, of course. Um, I don't know if you guys have have ever observed the difference between the dads that grow up thinking only about themselves and what they want and the dads that grow up thinking about their kids and what's best for them. And we've seen movies that portray both. We've seen movies that have the the dad that's all about himself and then we've seen movies about the dad who's willing to pour out for his kids and you know give his life if he's going to be one of those kind of you know action movie heroes or whatever. Um, and and it, it really speaks to a different mentality. And, you know, the Bible is very interesting because it refers to God as being the God of uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It it uh, it speaks multi-generationally. It's that, that God, when God reveals himself, that there's a generational reveal there, that there's that there's a progressive process that's involved there. I think if we were to update it, we could say that God is the God of, uh, you know, Gen Xers, Millennials, and Gen Zs. Um, in, in other words, in this generation right now, he's not just the God of the 40 and olders. He's not just the God of the 20 to 40-year-olds. He's not just the God of the under-20s. Um, he wants to reveal himself as, as the God of all the generations, all the generations that are alive right now. Mm-hmm. And what what inevitably happens, and it, it's it's progressive, it's, it's not a wrong thing, but what what oftentimes happens in life is that, of course, each generation grows up with a different life experience. 
And that shapes their thinking, it shapes their perspective. And I think sometimes what becomes difficult is making the connection between generations. Um, where oftentimes there can be a disconnect between generations and almost a competition. You know, the old ones want to hold on to what they want and the young ones want it their way. You know, in the world of music and church, it's the worship wars. You know, when I was younger, it was hymns versus courses and, and pianos versus guitars and drums. Uh, and, you know, when you, when you look at these things, I mean, those worship wars have existed for years. I read a quote one time about a guy uh, talking about somebody writing new worship songs. You'll get a kick out of this. And he said, this music is too new. It's just a money-making scheme. Uh, it, it, it's too emotional. Uh, it, uh, it, it causes people to behave in outburst oh, wow. behavior. Uh, and, you know, all this kind of stuff written in an American um, uh, Christian magazine. The interesting thing is, is the publication date of it is 1725. And it was written about, it was written about Wesley, who wrote, you know, when I surveyed the wondrous cross, joy to the world. And they were, they were speaking out against his music back then. Because it was so new. funny. Isn't that crazy? Eh? Yeah, yeah. So just shows the generational funk that can exist. And yet that's not God's heart. God's heart somehow is is to cause the generations to together be a representation of who God is in in the earth and um and and there'll always be uniquenesses between generations but if there isn't connection between the generations then there isn't this kind of a a baton pass uh Psalm 145 verse 4 says let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts and let them proclaim your power so that happens on the human level, you know, parents with their children. And it also happens in the church world um, in one degree with the, the, the older and the younger, uh, just functionally in church life, but also in the issue of kind of like the concept of spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers that really nurture and bring up and, and uh, uh, you know, build up that next generation. And, um, you know, just quoting the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 4.15, uh, he says, For even if you had 10,000 others to teach you about Christ, you have only one spiritual father, for I became your father in Christ Jesus when I preached the good news to you. And so we can have lots of teachers in the body of Christ, lots of people. I mean, nowadays online, you, you can get teaching, you know, till your, till your eyeballs fall out and your ears burn, you know. But... Most of those people are not going to people not going to be people that show up at your house uh, when you're in a crisis, or they're not going to be the people that are going to walk you through the things in life to help you grow. Mm -hmm. um, and so there, there is there is this thing. So what I what I was hoping we could talk about, and and maybe I'm I'm going to maybe throw a question at you guys to start with, but what what I wanted to maybe talk about was the building of these bridges, and and. How do these bridges get built, and what are the obstacles uh, to building these bridges, to building these connections, um, especially in the in the church world, Christian uh, spiritual parents, you know, speaking into the life of another kind of a kind of a situation. You know, what what are the things? So so let me throw this question at you at, at you guys. Um, 
if you were looking for somebody to be like a spiritual dad to you, what would you be looking for in that person? <clears throat> I think um, for myself, I'd be looking for somebody um, who models what I look for in myself. Um, obviously, who loves God, who loves Jesus. Um, but yeah, somebody who who not only can tell me how to do it, but can show me by doing it themselves. <clears throat> yeah, that's good. I, right now in my life, I don't <clears throat> feel like I currently have someone who's a spiritual father to me, but in the past I have. Um, and something that always meant a lot to me was he would often say to me, Houston, you remind me of myself when I was your age. And he would say that a lot. And it meant so because it made me feel like I wasn't alone in the things that I would experience. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And so it, that just felt so good. Every time he said he would say that to me, it just made me feel like, man, someone's been through this. He can walk me through this season or this thing that I'm going through. So that's that's the number one thing I feel like. I, and I don't even know if you can look for that. I think it just happens. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? So you find each other and it's just like that spiritual father is like, hey, you remind me of myself when when, you know, I was your age. So I, that's, that's something that really means a lot to me. Yeah. Shared experiences, but both successes and failures, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I yeah, I screwed up there. And let me tell you what I learned from that. <laughs> you yeah, know, no it's, doubt. as valuable information because sometimes it can help. Some people are people who really like to learn things the hard way. Um, but I think sometimes there's a place to say, if I don't have to pay stupid tax because someone else already paid it up front, then maybe I can benefit from that. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. No doubt. <laughs> That's so true. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So the, the interesting, I, you know, um, I, I have, I still have and have had kind of like spiritual dads in my life. Hasn't been the same person all the time. I believe that sometimes there are seasons um, where, you know, I, I call them divinely ordained relationships. I think Houston, you said it well, like you, you can't make this stuff up. Like you can't just go, you know, we're going to roll the lotto balls and whoever gets, we're going to mix and match these people together. There's, <laughs> there's a God connection that happens there. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and I've had some that I've learned from both, both their strengths and from their weaknesses, from their successes and from their mistakes. Um, and I think the issue is, and I think this is important for both of us, uh, for all of us to keep as a core, is that Jesus is still our first shepherd. You know what I mean? Like, like w even though we may serve somebody else as we're learning and growing, uh, Jesus still has to be at the core of that. There's this passage in Second Corinthians, I think it's chapter 7 or 8, where the Apostle Paul says, you know, that the people didn't do what he expected. Uh, I guess his expectations mustn't have been too high because after he pays them a compliment, he says, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. And I remember when the Lord kind of put that in my heart regards to, to the pastor that kind of mentored me into pastoring. And I felt like I was first given to God, but that I was given to him in service to God. And the thing about his mentoring, and this is this is the thing about mentoring, it's kind of karate kid kind of stuff, but um, 
I, sometimes I got to do what I really loved to do. I played guitar in the worship team and, you know, did sound and different things like that. And then sometimes I was told to do things that I really didn't want to do. Um, yeah. So quick story. First, first time I led worship, and I mean, now I've read worship for a bazillion years, but first time I led worship, um, it was it was so awful. And I mean, it was, I mean, it was awful. Like I'll, I'll say it this way. I couldn't wait for it to be over. And I was the worship leader, but I could see that same look on everybody else's faces. <laughs> it was like, worst. yeah, it's like, okay, can this end soon? So we can get past this and get to oh, the message. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I remember going, get finishing it off and going home and just thanking God for getting me through it. Like, Lord, thank you for getting me through that. Oh, I survived. And then during the week, the pastor sits me down and says, listen, um, I want you to start leading worship regularly on Sunday nights from now on. And I'm like, there's this prayer that Moses prays where he prays to the Lord and he says, Lord, what is it that you have against me? That <laughs> all these people, right? So I kind of pray that, like, God, what do you have against me that you did this to me that I have to leave? Worship, that's you know? so funny so, so that that kind of part of spiritual father is kind of the part that sucks but it was because he was seeing something that i couldn't even see myself that really didn't come to its full place until years later and then i ended up leading worship across the country thousands of guys at a time you know just all these different things that the doors that got opened as a result of it but it was because he was willing to make me do what I actually did not want to do, you know? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I think that's, if I, if I want to speak to the frustration of an older generation, and, and this is talking about the bridge building piece, I, I'm going to just backtrack here, guys, if I can. Yeah. Um, when it comes to building bridges between generations, I think one of the things that's really difficult is that both my generation and your generation can easily carry certain assumptions and judgments towards each other. You guys have probably heard it said amongst my generation, oh yeah, millennials, they're, just, they're all lazy, they're all into themselves, they're not willing to pay their dues. They, you know, it took me 30 years to get a house like that. They want the same house now. You know, uh, they're, they're, if, if they don't get promoted quickly enough, they bail. They're not dependable. I'm sure you have heard this, right? Yep. <laughs> right? Lots of times. Lots of times. <laughs> exactly. And it's, it's an easy thing for us to fall into because, because of just the lens that we're seeing through. But the problem is, is there's distortion in that lens. It's they still are colored glasses and uh and and what we have feel like we've experienced from our side well i'm going to do it a different way so what do you guys think are the judgments that your generation has had towards us <laughs> we might have a few few <laughs> <laughs> nervous laughter right <laughs> yeah, right I, I will say, though, that I have changed my perspective a little bit over the last several years as I've started to see me doing the same thing to Generation Z. 
Right. I look at them and I'm like, this is the most pathetic generation that's ever lived. And they're not. <laughs> they, they may be the best so far. I don't know. But it's funny, the lens that we look through when it's something about a younger generation, when they do things differently, we're like, oh, no, that's all messed <laughs> up. That's all messed up. They don't do it like us. And that's a problem, you know. And so I have changed my perspective a little bit where I used to just say, oh, you know, the older generations, they don't um, like they're too uptight. They don't like loud music. They don't like um, to let the spirit flow. And maybe some of them do. I've been to some Pentecostal churches that they get down and, and crazy. But <laughs> um, but there's been so many instances where, especially when I was younger in the church, just being like, man, these old people are just cramping our style when it comes to church. They want everything traditional. They don't like anything new. Anything that looks different, it troubled them. And it used to irritate me. But now that I, I mean, I'm only 29, but I look at the younger generation and I feel like I do the same thing now that the older generation was doing to me when I was younger. So I'm kind of seeing that pattern show up again. And I guess it's happened for a long time because you, you brought up that quote about Wesley's music. Yeah, So yeah, exactly. And, you know, you're, you're sounding like, like, um, you know, a guy, I don't know what your family situation is, but I know Aaron's got a couple of kids and I'm sure he's probably had those moments where he says something to his own kids and he goes, Oh my goodness, I sound like my dad. <laughs> right? It's like, oh, oh no, my father is coming out in me. And you go, yeah. crap, I said I would never do this, you know, yeah. stuff like that, right? And yeah. so, you know, I do understand that. Um, here, here's, here's the thing. This is something that really, really helped me out in understanding because I remember the frustration with the older generation. I, I had a little bit of an advantage, first of all, that I was born in the in the transition year between boomers and and busters okay so i was born in 63 and so the baby boomers are like 64 or the boomers are like 62 and earlier and the busters are like 63 and after and so i grew up kind of connected to both generations and and i was a lead guitarist in a in a 70s rock band so for me taking loud music into the church was just a given, you know what I mean? Right. So I, I had certain advantages of being, being young at heart in that way. Um, but somebody explained this to me one time. It really helped me, especially in regards to worship, but this is in regards to all kinds of stuff. But they said, they said two things. They said, number one, nobody experiences God in a vacuum. When you experience God, when you encounter God, it's in a context and that context may have certain music that context may have a certain structure. That context may have a certain style. And we as people contextualize our experiences. And so we oftentimes link or anchor our experience with God to our context. And so if somebody really encountered God singing an old hymn, then that old hymn becomes kind of an anchor point. It becomes a context for them. And when you take it away, you've taken away their context and they have to learn all over again how to experience God. Wow. Okay. And so another way one person said it is these people spent 50 years finding out what works best for them. And now you want to take that. <laughs> and that's, 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 that's true. Back, yeah. back when I was on staff at a church in 2000, it was like 2012 or 2013. I was a, I was a student pastor and I remember at a staff meeting one morning, one morning, I said, you know, 
the like in person announcements are fine. We have someone go up on the stage. But what if every once in a while, or even if we did both, what if we had a pre recorded video up on the screen of someone doing just video announcements and with cool music in the background and cool, like, you know, visual stuff? And I got shot down so hard. Senior <laughs> pastor was like, no, we're never going to do that. It's not relational, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you guys just have to loosen up the reins a little bit. But I, yeah, I mean, that. It makes sense. I mean, just everything has been done the same way for so long. And that's the context that they're used to. And they've experienced God in that way. And then all of a sudden there's these new ideas. And it's like, no, God hasn't been experienced in those ways. He's been experienced in these ways. So that makes sense. Well, one of the challenges uh, in the church world is is to, to, to create a culture shift. Like it takes it takes a long time and a lot of work. It took us between five and 10 years. So when I started pastoring the church, uh, we were a, we were a suit and tie church. We were a dress up for church, ties on the platform, dress pants, the whole nine yards. I remember the day. I still remember the staff meeting where I announced I was dropping the dress code. And as, as some people like, you know, they they almost looked demonized. Like they were like, <laughs> what? You know, that like their faces contorted and twisted, and it was like. Yeah, like the Holy Spirit doesn't dwell in the tie. You know what I mean? And and it's like you know, I said here are some statistics: seventy five percent of Canadian men don't own a suit that wears them, that that fits them. I mean, <laughs> okay, don't own a suit that. Yeah, my suit wears me well. Uh, don't, don't own a, don't own a suit that fits them. And so, if we're going to make a church that 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 has a culture of wearing suits. We have just told 75% of Canadian men, you don't belong here, mm. right? And so, you know, I started to explain that. So we started to shift that. And then in 2003, we got rid of all of our rows of chairs and we brought in banqueting tables and we set up the whole church around banqueting tables in 2003. We rented the tables for a month and then I had a staff meeting and I said, so guys, give me some feedback. What are your thoughts? And one person said, well, it just doesn't feel like church. And I said, exactly, exactly. <laughs> That's what I'm looking for. And he was shocked. He, he, you know, he thought he was contributing. And it was like, no, you've just made my point for me. Because somebody, because church is uncomfortable for unchurched people. But people understand sitting at a banquet table. They understand sitting at a restaurant table. You know, and so since 2003, we've been doing church at tables. And it works great. And and now it's our new religious rut that if I took the tables away, I probably would lose families. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's We're been since two thousand and three. Wow, that's been it's been that long already. I remember it's when been, the shift happened. I I knew of no church in North America that was doing it. It was I'd gone away to fast and pray. I went camping, grabbed a tent, went pitched a tent, and just spent some time with God. And and that was one of the ideas that came out of that time. And I really believe it was a God idea. It, it really has significantly been a piece of just, you know, shaping our church's DNA. And it's not that everybody should do it or shouldn't do it. It's just that's what our fit is and it, it fits well for us. So that's that's interesting. I've not been to one. I've been to a lot of churches around the area. I've not been to one that does that. That's really interesting. You, you create a large group of small groups all at the same time. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's so cool. 
That is yeah. so cool. I know. I've never of, even thought about it. A lot of friends would come, and but every time they'd come in, they're like, "It it's weird. It felt. It didn't feel like church. Like it felt comfortable. Like, yeah, bring your Timmy's in, bring your coffee in, and sit down." <laughs> I think the important thing, you know, just going back to the generational piece. I think the important thing. Uh, on my side of it, from the, an older generation perspective, is the the willingness to to take risks. The older we get, the more security oriented we become. You know, and there can be a tendency to be less risk taking uh, because you start to understand how much more is at stake. That's why they send people in their early twenties to war because. <laughs> right. So anyway, um, <laughs> don't talk about that. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. So, but, so, uh, but, but the thing is, the thing is, is that if, if we're willing to hear the innovation, I, I had this conversation with somebody a few weeks ago, a group of, of ministers, uh, and they had both young and old and they said, they said, um, the, the young generation has innovation and the old generation has wisdom. Innovation without wisdom can be a whole lot of ideas coupled by a whole lot of mistakes and some destruction. Wisdom without innovation uh, doesn't move you forward. It just makes you look smarter. Um, and so what you need is you need wisdom and innovation together. And if you can have those two together, you know, my generation. So like the tables, for example, I mean, I was still younger at the time. And so I was still in, in an innovative thinking way. Um, you know, the upside of COVID is that uh, we had to make a choice. Are we going to innovate or are we going to just lock down and and whine and cry that, you know, we got to get it back to the way things were? Well, to me, this is an opportunity to innovate. But in doing that, you're asking yourself, how much money do you want to spend? How much risk do you want to take? You know, what's what are the real stakes to that? And I think if you combine those things, you know, uh, us old farts have experience, which gives us perspective. I think, you know, I think there's there's an issue of wisdom, but there's an issue of understanding. I think when you get older, you don't just have wisdom. I think you can have wisdom when you're young. Solomon was 20 and God gave him great wisdom, mm -hmm. you know. But understanding is this thing that sees how the pieces fit together. So we have some wisdom, we have some understanding, we have some perspective, we have a broader knowledge base. We basically, you know, have, we've just, we've had more stuff shoved into our brain, <laughs> bottom line, right? We have, we, we have tested faith, which I think has great value. Um, and that's where uh, an older guy will come along to a younger guy who's struggling and say, dude, been there, done that, you're going to be okay. You're going to get through this. I think it's been one of the most powerful sets of words that I've been able to use with people. You know what? You're going to get through this and you're going to be okay. You know? And, and I think those are really, really strong, powerful words. Um, and we've, if, if at my age, we're still doing well in ministry, that generally means that our character and our integrity is well-developed. Because your your gifts will get you there, but it's your integrity that will keep you there. That's right? true. That's true. And, you know, whereas when I look at you guys, you know, you have energy. And there's a verse in Proverbs that says the glory of the young man is his strength. 
and the glory of the old man is his gray is his gray hair. Oh, <laughs> praise God, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> or or lack of hair altogether. Anyway, <laughs> uh, you guys have energy. You you have innovation. You understand the language and the tech of the generation. You're far more adaptable. You know, it, it's it's yeah. I'll, I'll come back to that. And you're and you're quicker to learn. So uh, I've been a tech guy my whole life. I used to sell computers like when computers were the new thing. Um, and, uh, you know, back in the Radio Shack days. And, uh, you know, was, was, was quick to learn. If a you know, new operating system, I was on top of it. New software, I was on top of it. New interface, I'm on top of it. You know, now... You know, the next version of iOS comes out and they've moved buttons around and they've they've put something in a different part of the menu. I'm 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 ticked at these guys. It's like, <laughs> dude, stop moving stuff around. Like, so I just spent six months figuring out where the buttons are and now you hide them on me. <laughs> and I know when you're 20, you look at it once and you remember it. But when you're 50, you have to look at it three times. <laughs> Everything takes longer, right? And yeah, and it's good. it's good you don't have an Android too, man. Those are confusing. Oh, I yeah. looked at one of those. I can't handle it. I'm, <laughs> I'm simple, man. <laughs> Give me an iPhone. <laughs> yeah. So, so stick it. You know, stick the stick in the mud. Um, l- let me talk a little bit about the fear about uh, the the fear of our generation, which I think the generation before me had it about us. Is that I grew I grew up in the era when Christian rock music was deemed evil in much of the church world. And I was a Christian rocker, so <laughs> you'll know where I landed on that. Um, but I think it was because there was a fear that what would accompany it was the shifts in morality that came with the style. And, you know, when we look now at what's available and when we look at you know, pick a style of music or, or, or pick a platform or, you know, pick where movies have gone these days and, and what's allowable in movies these days. Our, our concern becomes for the younger generation or you guys think about the Gen Z kids growing up in a culture that insists that some things are OK, that the scripture clearly says aren't. And. You know, we we get we get nervous that, you know, is there going to come a point where uh, and I know this is happening in some denominations where the younger leaders are coming up in the denominations and they're saying, well, we're not sure that the Bible is fully inspired. Mm. Right. Yep. Yeah. And we're like crap in our pants because of it. <laughs> I'm not just being I'm shooting straight. You know, yeah, yeah you are going like, you know what? And as soon as you do away with the inspiration of the Bible, all bets are off. Now, now you have an arbitrary system of, of morality. You can make it whatever you want. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and, and now it's, it's, you know, it's like trying to grasp jello with your hand. Like you just, <laughs> you just, right. <laughs> you, t- you took the container away. Like yeah. what do you do with that? Right. So yeah. that I think that's why sometimes we can come off as a little bit uh, stick in the mud or sticklers about things. Um, it's it. I, I think it's we have a diff, we can have a difficulty separating the methodology methodologies um, from the principles 
that are behind them, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know how that reads with you guys. I don't know what what your journey has been with with you know where things are going biblically and all that jazz. But oh man, <laughs> this is this is right. Oh man, this is my alley right here. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to speak too harshly on it because I just don't want to seem like a jerk. But um, I am noticing that a lot. Um, really within. And it's it spread throughout generations, but mainly in millennial, the millennial generation is let's throw the Bible. Not, they don't necessarily throw the whole Bible out. They just throw the parts out that conflict with the lifestyle they want to live or the beliefs that they want to have. Mm-hmm. So they cherry pick certain things. They build doctrines off of it, build churches on it, and it just gets dangerous. And we, we actually just released a video last week and it's really not christianity at all because if you take the authority of scripture out and you take core doctrines and beliefs that have been established since the beginning of the church age or even since the beginning of time it it's not the same it's not the same faith that that we once had you know it's something new so don't call it christianity call it something else like it's just you're using some biblical principles that kind of line up with you know what you like but then other than that you really don't want anything to do with the word. And so, yeah, I think being being a, in the younger generation, methodology doesn't, I don't care what the method is really, um, but it's, you know, it's throwing out like, um, it's just throwing out the truths of, of the word and the truths of the faith that I just, I don't know. I'm I'm kind of like, I don't know. I'm really stuck on that right now. I saw a video last week and it really fired me up, but <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. That speaks to me deeply. So, okay, I pushed your hot button. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll you know, you hear down. things like you know, well, if you look at the Gospels, Jesus was all about love, and it's like, uh, yes, but Jesus' message was the message of the kingdom, and the kingdom is about who the king is. <laughs> you know what I mean? And. I, I did a I did a video devotional just a couple weeks ago about the passage where Jesus says, if you don't hate your father, mother, brother, sister, wife, children, you know, and even your own life, uh, you, you can't, you don't even get to be my disciple. You can't be my disciple. And of course, he's using hyperbole, like using the word hate there. He doesn't mean actual hatred. He's using the language, an idiom in the same way that we would say, I died laughing. We don't mean that literally, Right. Um, he's using that as, as a, a contrastive term, but he's basically saying your love for me should be so much more than all of those that those would almost look like hate compared to the other one, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, people say, oh, Jesus was all about love. Well, Jesus was about saying, if you're not willing to sell out for him, yeah, you don't get to go. Um, but those ones, those scriptures seem to be kind of kind of tucked away a little bit, right? <laughs> yeah, no doubt. I was talking to my wife about it uh, probably a couple of weeks ago, and it just seems like a lot of these new ideas within some millennial churches are we really dismiss the God of the Old Testament to where we won't, we won't even talk about the things that happened in the Old Testament, the things that God instructed his people to do, the things that God actually did. We don't like to talk about it because it makes it feel, us feel uncomfortable, it makes us feel uncomfortable, but we love talking about this hippie, loving, flow, you know, flowy-haired Jesus who's just all about love and peace. And it's just dangerous when you when you take certain attributes of God and blow them up 
bigger than, you know, the rest of them. It's, it's all those attributes that make him, you know, how great he really is. That's right. So when you just take a couple of them and blow them up, you're not even worshiping the same God at that point. And I, I want to be careful and graceful when I say that, because mm-hmm. I understand that they're still worshiping Jesus, yeah. but they're blowing up certain attributes that they're not worshiping him in his whole personhood. So yeah. I think there's, there's, it's even like, it's dangerous on both aspects. Like if you're, if you're saying, oh, he's all, all this, and then you're saying, no, he's all this. It's like, you have to understand where it lands in the middle. You know what I mean? Like you can't say, oh, God wouldn't do those things anymore because he's this, he's all love. He's all this. Or to say, no, God's not about love. God's all this. It's, it's about finding that, that medium that the Bible describes, you know? The, yeah. the, bet, the way that I use G- Jesus in John 14, 6, Jesus, you know, uh, I said, I'm the way, the truth and the life. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because he, he used the singular word truth. I am the truth. And the thing is, is the scripture con- contains truths, plural. So uh, mercy is a truth. Judgment is a truth. Right. Uh, love expressed as overlooking wrong is a truth. Love expressed as confronting wrong is a truth. Um, a, the protection of God is a truth. Persecution is a truth. They're all truths, plural. But Jesus is the truth. So if you made Jesus the hub of a wheel and you made each truth like a spoke, the key is, is that Jesus is the only one who knows how, where they all belong. And that's why we need to really put him central, make him central to it. But if you make any spoke too long, then the wheel is off balance and the ride is rough. Mm-hmm. That's right? good. That's gold. That's good. And, <laughs> and so for me, it's always, you know, I, as a parent, it's like, okay, you know, love, love overlooks all wrongs in first Peter in revelation, Jesus, those, those whom I love, I confront. So it's like, okay, in this particular situation, should we be overlooking what the kid did? Or should we be confronting what the kid did? Mm-hmm. Lord, what is the most life-giving thing in this particular situation? And that's where you seek for the direction of the Spirit, the wisdom of God, all of those different things to know which truth to apply when. Yeah. And that's why, Aaron, your point was so true. It's not all one, and it's not all the other. When you read Revelation 2 and 3, Jesus didn't sound all lovey-dovey when he talked to the seven churches. He sounded more like the guy said, hey, listen, you guys are doing great, but hey, there's this one thing, and you better deal with it, because if you don't, you're in serious trouble. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah right? true. So, so let me ask this. When you, when, when you make reference to that, and I have no way of knowing this, so this is going to be completely speculative, but do you think churches that drift off into, um, uh, you know, maybe leaning too far toward the greasy grace, easy peasy kind of Christianity. Do you think part of that could be because there is a lack of spiritual fathers in the house to help guard that? That's a great question. Um, I I do. I, I, I actually do. Now that you said that, I never, I never gave that much thought, but I do believe that. I think for a long time, um, so we're, Aaron and I are millennials and I, we both grew up in church. Um, 
I was especially in church because my dad was a, a pastor. Um, but I grew up in an age where it was less about doctrine and more about um, just having a good experience. And so it's when all the Hillsong worship was coming out, which I love. And I love all that old school Hillsong stuff. It's what I grew up on. But it was all about having a really good experience and you could bring all your friends. And it was really easy messages that were palatable, which are fine. But what happened is I think that the pendulum came off swing just a little bit. And so there was a lack of, you know, deep biblical teaching and truths and application and things like that. And so what happened is our generation, we took, you know, and whatever's left of it, because I know there's a lot of millennials that have left the church, but whatever is left, we took our zeal from that age and we took off with it without a really strong biblical foundation, which our fathers, our grandfathers, our gra- grandmothers, our mothers had. They had that strong biblical foundation. We had this new method, and we're like, we're just going to run with it. And I think that there was a lack of maybe some you know, spiritual guidance from spiritual fathers and things in the church during that time. And that's why we may have that issue that we have now. That makes so much sense now that you bring that up. And I would say even like a... And like, obviously it's not to point one person out as being wrong, but it's more so like we talked about last night, like there's, there's responsibility on both ends, but if you're not willing to accept that guidance, then that everyone could be trying to give you the guidance, but if you're not willing to, to take it and to run with it, then it's never going to go, you know? Yeah, which is where that bridge comes into play that you were talking about, Pastor Mark. That bridge, bridging the gap between the generations. Somewhere there was, you know, there wasn't a bridge, a gap that was bridged, and it wasn't necessarily one person's fault or the other person's fault. It's this lack of communication and working together to further the gospel. Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah, and I think that's the big trick. There's an interesting Old Testament example of this. Actually, is when Solomon's son Rehoboam became king. And, and this is about the time Israel and Judah ended, ended up uh, splitting apart. It says that he, he brought in Solomon's advisors, the old generation, and they said, hey, listen, you know what? Give the people a break, do this, do this, do this, and you'll have their heart, and they will serve you. And then it says, then he called all the young guys his age in as advisors, and he <laughs> said, what do you think we should do? He says, oh, you should tell the guys, if you thought Solomon taxed you, he he was giving you an iron thumb. You're going to get an iron leg. <laughs> like, you know, if, if you thought it was hard, like, I, I am the boss of you guys and you're going to know it. And it says he followed the advice of the younger ones and ignored the advice of the older ones. And the immediate outcome was 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 the spl- the splitting of the nation. Right. Mm-hmm. Judah and Benjamin went one way. The other 10 tribes went the other. And then, you know, they 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 hated each other's guts, you know. And, yeah. and so when you look at that, you know, I think it's good that he consulted with both. But I think, you know, some, the, the, the importance of the connection and, and, you know, and I think this building bridge piece has to do with the concept of honor. I think honor flows in both ways because. Uh, you know, respect is one thing. Honor is a is is uh, in the Bible is the language of value. It's the language of bestowing 
value. As a matter of fact, the word translated honor is sometimes used to represent money in, in that day and age. So sometimes when they honored a person, it meant that they actually gave them money. And other times it ju just meant that they bestowed value. They, they acknowledged their value. Mm -hmm. And what happens is when you, when you bestow value on somebody, um, then, you know, it, it endears people to each other. Right. Paul talked to the Philippians about how he carried them in his heart. Right. What was he doing? He was bestowing value on them. He was telling them how precious they were to him. He was he was actually honoring the Philippians when he said, I have you in my heart. And, you know, I, you know, to our fault, growing up as boomers and busters, is that we grew up in a culture that was that was very self-centered. It was all about us. It was my career, my success, my house, my car, my image, my education, my status. And, and I think because of that, there was a certain neglect that took place where people, whether it be in regular life or even in ministry, built their ministries sometimes on the backs of other people who served, but took all the credit for themselves. And... And so what they did is they dishonored the other people. And what does that do? It alienates people. It creates the disconnect. It creates the, when I get my own ministry, your, your voice is not going to have any weight in my life because mm -hmm. you were a jerk anyway, mm -hmm. right? And, and so if we can restore, if we, if we can find ways to restore honor and, you know, without, and, and Aaron, you can disagree with me if you want here, but I, I want to, um, Oh, oh yeah, I am recording. I suddenly had this like, did I press record? I do that all the time. I always go back and forth. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, we're recording. We're good. Okay. Uh, but like, for example, back in January when we had our nights of prayer, the one night, you know, Aaron, Aaron was up there, and and I specifically asked Aaron to pray, and you know, I kind of pushed him outside of his comfort zone a little bit, which was one of those you know, wax on, wax off, uh, karate kid moments, which, which is good. But, but the underlying thing and, and Aaron, you know, confirm or denied this, but part of that was actually a part of honoring. It was a part of communicating to Aaron that, that the role he played in that moment had value, not just for himself, not just for us on the platform, but for the whole church, it had value. And so that was the heart was to, that was part of it was to communicate value. You know, when I put Noah on the prayer team last night, uh, I mean, plain and simple, I prayed and said, Lord, who should be on the team? Because I have no idea who, I don't want to think through optics and all that kind of jazz. And should we have this representation that's like, Lord, who do you want on the prayer team? But I really felt that one of the people who put in my heart was Noah. And so I put Noah on, he's 25 years old, he's a young single guy. But but yet at the same time, my understanding is part of that again is 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 honoring. It's 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 to create honor on the younger generation. Well, if I'll do that, then you know honor can begin to flow in both directions. And then when you have honor, then you've then you've got then there is respect, then there is trust, then voices do have value when they say you know what, Mark, I know you've done it this way a bazillion times in your life, but have you ever thought about maybe doing it that way? I can give weight to that because I place value. 
right? Mm -hmm. And if they're ready to run off and do something, which we've, you know, I think of, you know, probably at some point or another, I've done with Aaron. It's like, whoa, dude, put the brakes on. We need to have a conversation first. <laughs> and it's not to restrain. Again, it's 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 to set up to succeed. It's 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 to help. It's to support, right? So, yeah. Yeah. would you would you say, Aaron, that was that was? Did you is what did that feel like an honor piece for you? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, leading up to it, um, there was a a verse in I I read it last week. It was the the prophetic prayer um, in Galatians, I believe Galatians, or was it Ephesians? Do you remember Houston? Ephesians. Yeah, um, but it was it was something that was stirring on my heart when I was just spending time reading, and I felt like. I need to pray. Like I need to, I need to, I don't know how or why, but I, I just need to pray. Um, and then when I, when I had gotten there, you said that, okay, we, we're going to open it up for you and Amy, if you feel led to pray. And then the whole time it's just sitting there and I'm, I'm like fighting that, that those, that anxiety or that, those nerves to, to step out of that comfort zone. And I didn't do it. And then it was like, okay, Aaron, now I'm going to ask you to do this. <laughs> and so it was, it was really, it was really good. And like you said, it's putting me in that position helped me. It wasn't like a, like a me moment, but it was like, like, like you said, you see that this is something that could build not only a relationship with with you and I, but between the church and between generations. And so, yeah, for sure. I absolutely do feel that way. That's cool. I thought it was neat. It's kind of like, okay, you're, you're fighting your nerves and like, God got you anyway. You know? <laughs> That's how it goes. <laughs> and then, and last, last week or the week before at worship practice, or while we're, when we were going through the recording of worship, when Andrew had asked me to pray, it was like, am I ever going to get to a point where I don't just start sobbing like a baby and I can actually pray? <laughs> Maybe not. Um, <laughs> hey, listen, look at me. You know, I, 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 I still go mess. You know, I still sob. We're a soppy church. What can I say? And so I, I'm, all, it, I'm all right with that. Maybe it's your fault. Yeah, maybe. it's my fault. Yeah, I just, yeah. You led by example, so I just. <laughs> you will cry. You will cry. <laughs> Everything flows from the spiritual father. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'll tell you, for, from a mentoring perspective, there, there, I, I had real difficulty with mentoring people. Um, and on honestly, I didn't figure it out until Andrew actually, uh, you know, my associate, um, helped me figure it out. I would have guys come to me and want to be mentored by me. And, uh, and I, I begin those relationships and then they would get very awkward very quickly. And then they would end very quickly. And I know in the process, I know that some guys really got their feelings hurt. Some guys ended up leaving the church because of it. And it saddens me, but I could never wrap my head around it. And what I found was that I had no problem relating upward and I had no problem relating across to my peers, but I always had difficulty having a, a close-up type mentoring a relationship downward. And one day, Andrew and I were talking, and he said, you know, Mark, he says, I was thinking about that. He says, here's the thought that came to my mind. I said, what's that? He says, 
you're the last born of five children. He said, you grew up with all your relationships up to siblings, up to adults, and across to friends. He says, you, you didn't have younger brothers and sisters, and so your ability to relate older brother-like was not really developed. Now, my niece, my niece was only five years younger than me, but she was my niece. She didn't live with me. You know, it was a little bit, you know, we did have times where we became really tight and stuff. But I realized that in the formation of my own life, I, I didn't have a grip for mentoring people. So people come to me to, and say, man, like you should mentor people. You should mentor young pastors. And I say, why? What do I have to offer? They say, are you nuts? What do, what do you mean? What do you have to offer? I says, what would I tell them? I don't know what I'd tell them. I just love Jesus and follow after him and pastor the church. What I don't have, I don't have a seven points to successful ministry in my back pocket, you know? <laughs> and they'd say, dude, you need to just be you and, and just have those conversations. It's like, yeah, how do I do that? And so I've actually, it's funny because it was not till, you know, not till well, 20 or 25 years of pastoring that I realized that I actually had to learn how to mentor people, <laughs> you know? Which is freaky, you know, freaky deaky to me. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, uh, you know, what the, the opportunities that I have, I really, I really love to do it. So how would you, how would you guys as millennials, if, if you wanted to, um, well, before I say this, I think any healthy believer has three kinds of relationships. They have the up, the across, and the down. So like the Timothy to Paul relationship, where they're relating up to somebody, the Paul to Barnabas relationship where they were partners in ministry and the Paul to Timothy relationships where you're speaking into the life of somebody else, whether it's just helping them in their discipleship or just being an encourager or whatever. But I think that if we're going to be healthy as believers, those are three very healthy biblical dynamics of relationships to have in life. But so so for you guys, I would ask this question from the up and from the down perspective. What would you be looking for if if you were looking for a guy like me to become like a spiritual dad or a mentor or a you know a a, a, a significant voice in mm -hmm. your life? Um, I've been told that formal programmatic kind of things don't seem to fly the same way with millennials. How, how could you guys, how would you see this happening? What, what do you need to make that happen? You go first, Aaron. <clears throat> um, um, that's, it's a great question. Um, in order so just to to be sure that I understand it. So what I look for in a mentor? Yeah, not not so much in characteristics, but uh, let me put it. Let let me say it to you this way: if 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 someone was, if I was your age, and someone was putting out, we're going to be doing a leadership development, blah blah blah, and you can take this course, and we're going to meet once a month. And we're going to do discuss these things and we're going to give you some homework and we're going to do this, this, this. And it would be, you know, structured and formalized and stuff like that. Guys from my generation would be like, where do I sign? You know, <laughs> sign me up. Right. Yeah. I'm told that millennials don't exactly think the same way, that they're a whole lot more about unstructured 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. Instead of a let's do a training thing, it's more like a come hang out at my house. Let's have a barbecue. Yeah. And yeah. in the context of the barbecue, um, I'm going to ask you some probing questions mm -hmm. and then challenge you to go do some homework. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. I, I can go if, if I can talk if you don't have anything yet, Aaron, because I can speak to this. Well, I was I was just going to say that that's that the second one absolutely resounds better with me oh, and yeah. being and even like we said, like if you have questions for us, throw them at us. It kind of puts us in a position of like needing to dig inside of ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Millennials. And I don't want to speak. I'm going to speak broadly because I, th <laughs> I based on the conversations I've had, we're a lot alike um, across the board. We don't really like structure but we like being part of a team. We like working together and doing things together. We don't like saying, I take ownership in this. We like just saying, hey, look what we accomplished together. Yeah, we yeah. love doing that without structure. <laughs> and I think that was the biggest, um, that was probably my biggest hindrance um, getting into ministry young is there was so much structure. And I'm like, no, I hate structure. And then at one point I was so anti-structure that the senior pastor was like, Houston, I want you to read this book. I want you to preach sermons out of this just for a season because I need to teach you a little bit of structure and we're going to meet weekly and we're going to give structure to your ministry. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is killing me, you know? Um, but yeah, we, we like to have skin in the game. We like to be a part of it. So when, when you were saying that you had kind of put Aaron on the spot, we do, honestly, even though we might be uncomfortable at first, we do like that. We like mm -hmm. feeling part ownership in something. Not full ownership, but part ownership. We like doing things as a team without structure. So. Yeah, that's even like um, in regards to that men's group that started um, just before the, the whole lockdown, like lockdown, lockdown happened. Um, I was, I, I believe I spoke to both of you about it. Um, and it was it was just something that I felt I felt called to do. But the main thing that I kept emphasizing that uh, I think, sorry, I, th I thought I said emphasizing. I meant to say emphasizing. Um, but the main thing that I kept trying to get across was like, hey, guys, I don't want to be your leader. Like, that's not, don't think I'm trying to approach this in that sense. And then somebody had mentioned to me, like, well, if, if God's calling you to be a teacher, to be a leader in this area, you can't really say that you don't want to be one. But I'm like, no, that's exactly what I'm saying. Like, I'm, I, I want to be a part of it and we can all grow together, but I don't, don't look at, don't give me a hat to put on. You know, I don't want that, that leadership title. And so I can definitely agree with that. Like we, we do, I wanted to be a part of that group. And I wanted to be a part of the conversation and, and seeing people grow and lives changed, but I didn't want to, it's not even so much about holding the responsibility of a leader, but it's just, I wanted to build something that we all built together, you know? Yeah. So yeah. It's, it sounds like, it sounds like, uh, inclusiveness, it seems to be a big deal. Like, the, the issue of not being not being lone stars, uh, you know, is good. And, and I think that's a really wonderful thing because it fosters community. Um, you know, if, if we look at sport analogies, you, you still need a captain on the team. But the, the, the captain just helps the team be the team. 
mm-hmm. right? Um, but the captain's got still got a call to play sometimes, yeah. um, you know, or else the Super Bowl wouldn't be worth watching. Um, and and so you know that that's that's an interesting piece. Here's a trick. So so two things to that. No, number one, I think that's one of the reasons there might be a gap between the two generations, is that we've grown up in structures and we know we know structure well. So to shift is like trying to ask an accordion player to become a lead guitarist. There's there's this. It's like this. How do I how do I you know, work this thing. Right. And, and so even though the principles are the same and all those different things, again, just like when we talked about worship, it's a different context. And so what it does is it throws us into a learning curve. And what happens is, uh, we're learning while we're teaching and which is not a bad thing, but it is, it does create a whole lot more work and a whole lot more, you know, still not wanting to screw it up in the process. Um, and the tricky part about that is that you want to do everything organically. So this is the flip side of it. You want to do everything organically. But if you look, if you look in life in general, every organism is organized mm. right down to the cellular structure. If, if, if there isn't, if there is an organization in the DNA, the cell will die. And so there's always a tension between organization and this this free-flowing organic thing that can kind of morph and i'm i'm my personality type i'm not much of a structure guy i'm a go with the flow kind of guy i'm a, i'm a you know hey let's be spontaneous kind of a person but what i found out is that if i don't have some level of structure which it sounds like houston you probably had to learn if yeah. i don't have some <laughs> level of structure uh, of structure i i will hurt other people because uh, I can turn on a dime, but you can't turn an ocean liner on a dime. You gotta, it takes time to move to the more people you have, the slower you have to move. Right. That's true. So, yeah. That's true. But, but so guys like us have to learn that, you know what, if, if, if we want to mentor people, that means, you know, in the middle of lockdown world world, it means, Hey, let's, let's have a Skype call and let's have a conversation. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It means at another point, Hey, you know, Hey, what are you doing? Let's, let's go for an ice cream and talk about life, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just kind of wrapping, wrapping our heads around that is, is something that is, is a learning curve. You know, Aaron, you're a dad. And what you're discovering is that becoming a father doesn't make you the guy who knows it makes you the guy, the student who has to learn a whole new set of things. Yeah. Amen. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's so true. <laughs> so what questions then, guys, you know, throw the ball in your in your court. What questions yeah. would you guys have for me? Um, I mean, just, a to- just totally open-ended, like whatever. Do you have a question? Do you have a question about... Bible? Do you have a question about church life? Do you have a question about God? Do you have a question about relationships? Do you have a question about, you know, genetics? No. Uh, do you have a question about, you know, uh, no, but honestly, like, do you have a, do you have a question or do you have a question about mentoring or the, those relationships? Anyway, I just, yeah. I'm throwing the talking rock your way. Yeah. I've got one thing I just want to throw out, uh, just a little funny, um, but it's serious too. Pastor Mark, do you do you work out? Because your biceps have been bulging this whole video. 
you should see my calves. <laughs> you got some good calves, huh? Uh, yeah. Um, talk about genetics. Okay, genetics. So, and, and, and the truth is, the truth is, these are all genetic. Uh, my, my calves and my biceps are just naturally big muscles. Yeah. And we used to have a bodybuilder in the church. And I remember him looking at my calves one day and he said, oh, Mark, you have such gorgeous calves. <laughs> and I said, oh, well, thank you. He says, I've been working out my whole life, he says, and my calves are like pencils. Yeah. He, says, I, he says, genetically, I will never be able to have calves as big as yours. What did you do? I says, stand and sell products at Radio Shack? I don't know. Like, <laughs> That's so, so funny. He was so working thanks. out. You were selling computers. Yeah. 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 I, I, I've been using my brain and it came to my biceps. <laughs> <That's so funny. laughs> I wish it worked like that for me. Uh, <laughs> oh, I don't know. I maybe... Imagine if I had actually worked out, I might have some show offy muscles. I don't know. Yeah, maybe, right? maybe this will keep me humble that way. So you and Aaron should be workout partners. <laughs> oh yeah. Houston, maybe if you use your brain, you'll see if the muscles come into your biceps. <laughs> My gray matter is in my arms. <laughs> That's funny. Um, okay, I do have a, I do uh, have a little bit to go off of the, um, I guess, uh, millennial stuff. Is um, I really believe that millennials are more intellectual and hard workers than we get the credit for. I do think that we've grown up in a society where everything's fast and we do like fast results. And sometimes we can just pick things up and put it down really quickly if the results aren't uh, aren't there quick enough. But I do think that we like to be challenged in our thinking and go deeper. Um, and I think that's something that was lost as we were growing up. And even and I'll speak to this a little bit. My my church does a really good job in student ministry of going deep with the students, where it's not just like you know, they're kids. They don't really understand a lot. Yeah. Let's just put a little bit on them. No, like these students are going to school and they're taking college courses at 15, 16, 17 years old. And you know, they're, you know, they've got 4.3 GPAs, not all of them, but they're expected. There's all these expectations on students to graduate with good grades, go to college, you know, get accepted to college, graduate and go get a good job. And we put all this, you know, this heavy stuff on them, but it's it's crazy when they come into the church doors, it's like, oh, well, you know, they just can't handle it. Let's not go, you know, too deep with the kids. And I understand that all kids are on different spectrums, but it was the same thing when I was younger in youth groups. It was just, you know, the students can't take a whole lot, just put a little bit on them. But our generation, millennials especially, and I think Gen Z probably as well, we do like the challenge. We do like going deeper. And I think what millennials have discovered, the ones who have stuck with church is we've actually loved diving deep into the word and finding those hidden truths in scripture and, and letting the Bible come to life to us and our relationship with Jesus come to life and just blossom into something beautiful by going deep into the word. And it's something we really value. And I, and I don't want to speak on behalf of the older generations, but I do feel like as a younger person, we have had this persona of we don't like that stuff we just like something quick and easy and we're really you know surface level and things like that but it's it's not true and so i don't know if you notice that pastor mark within you know your church or the culture that y'all live in 
um you know yeah yeah i I had to stop for a second i was like (laughs) i just said (laughs) y'all the millennials there in 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 your region do you notice that pattern as well and aaron maybe you can speak on this a little bit too we actually are intellectual thinkers we like to go deep we like the pressure we like the challenge things like that i i would say yeah i i would say my initial response it makes me think about uh, a study that Willow Creek, I'm sure you're familiar with Willow Creek Church, mm-hmm. uh, did a number of years ago. Because when they, when they started to do their, uh, their, their, their major church growth and outreach, they, they talked about reaching, you know, unchurched Harry and Mary was their kind of their model. They were trying to reach these unchurched people. And then they, they, they found a rising kind of discontent going on in the church. And so they did some surveys and some research and discovered that the, the people's number one frustration was that there was not enough biblical content in the messages. Mm. And, and these, these were boomer buster age people. Okay. And so they realized that, that people that, that, you know, what they were feeding Pablin when people were asking for something they could actually chew on. And so they began to deepen that they began to go that way. And I think what you, what, what you'll have is, is you have to understand a couple of things. I think ages and stages of a church all, at large, um, ages and stages of people and, uh, and, and their, uh, how high or low functioning they are. So, you know, if you look at one demographic of kids, of, of teenagers, and of course, if you've got a youth group of 200 people, you're going to have a bell curve and you're going to have kind of a critical mass that that uh, have a certain, I'll use it for lack of a better term, IQ, but, you know, functionality, right? Their capacity for thinking deeply and digging deeply. But if you if you've got a youth group where that bell curve is low, then you know you 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 can't give meat to somebody who can't digest it. So I think a lot of it has to do with that. Now I think where the problem rises that you're pointing out is that people who have had a higher capacity, we we didn't perhaps maybe recognize it or notice it. It's it's this tendency, and you you'll be able to make this comment in about twenty years. It's this tendency. That when you look at somebody who is 20 years younger than you, you forget who you were at that age. And so, Aaron, how old are you? 29. And uh, uh, Houston? I'm 29 as well. Okay. I started pastoring our church at 23. I've been married one year, and I was 23 years old, and I was the pastor of the church. Okay. My son, Adam, my youngest son, Adam, is 24. Now, they do say that the adolescent adulting uh, stage has changed because of how university has worked and stuff. And they said people who normally would uh, transition at 22, 23, 40 years ago usually do at 27 or 28 now. And there's been kind of a slowing down of that process because people spend more time in school. And, and so they don't, they don't launch the same. Okay. Nevertheless, there's this tendency to always look at people 20 years younger as always being a kid to you. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you think, I can't I can't give him the deep stuff because he's still just a kid. Mm -hmm. Forgetting that, hey, wait a minute, 
when I was 23 years old, I was I was the Bible teacher in my church, <laughs> right? It's like, oh, wait a minute. They are capable of it. So I think there's a tension between the two. I think it's recognizing you need to know the capacity of the people. Number one, you need to know the willingness of the people. Some people want to go deep. Some people don't care. And what you do is you work with the willing. It's like, you want to go deep? I'll give you deep. I, I did a, a first video last week called Thinking Through Theologically. Aaron, I know you saw because you commented on it. Yeah, that was really right? good. And it, it's it's a little bit, you know, it's it's not intended for the person who's been following Jesus for two years and they're still kind of trying to figure out, you know, some of the real basic things. It's 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 for people who like to get in there and tear that sucker up and find out what's going on, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and so I, I, I agree with you, but only to a point, because I think part of it has to do with just understanding the people that are in your sphere and what their capacities and their willingness is. But yes, the, the mistake does make, you guys are just children. I can't talk to you about the deep stuff. And that's, that's just really arrogant because it's not the truth. That makes sense. I, I respect that answer a lot. And, but, and it goes both ways, too. Like I said, we, we, we are quick to pick things up and put it down. So if we don't get what we want right away, a lot of times we're moving on to the next thing. So a lot of times the, the spiritual fathers don't have time to connect because we're just like, well, connect with me today or <laughs> tomorrow's not going to happen. You know, that, that does happen with us. Uh, yeah. And that's I think patience is. You know, and again, I mean, I, I just love the Karate Kid example all the time because it was such a great example, especially the original Karate Kid, is such a great example of teaching patience and perseverance when he didn't even know why he was learning it. And, and you know, and I think that that's something that needs to be learned and it's difficult in our society because everything is high speed. Yeah, yeah. Right? We, yeah. Have, we have an expectation of things just not taking a long time. The few people who understand it are Olympic athletes understand that they have to spend most of their life training, you know, mm -hmm. or NHL hockey players or, you know what I mean? Like there are some people who still get it, but, but honestly, like it's, it's like if I can't find it online in three minutes, you know, or if I press enter and the screen doesn't change in five seconds, <laughs> It's like I'm in the age of dinosaur. Yeah, it's like, what's the matter with this thing, right? <laughs> right. And 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 so it 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 does. It's it's created kind of a real short attention span for us. And mm -hmm. I mean, some of the research has shown that. But you know what? Uh, this is this is my thinking. This is, is this: if millennials and Gen Zs especially um, have shorter attention spans, are more quickly distracted, or anything else like that, I can't help but think that God has a plan to use that that way for their generation. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I just, I, I just, I, I can't see it saying, you know, well, no, we're going to have to go back to horse and buggies or the Holy Spirit can't move anymore. <laughs> in the same way that you could teach in children's ministry and God can move in the kids' hearts when you're using simplified language, then God can, God can, you know, the arm of the Lord is not short that it can't save. God can do these things. And so yeah. we have to just see past our own junk and just say, hey, God can God can work in that context. Let's just find out how he wants to do that. How yeah. can I empower you guys? Right? That's cool. Yeah. And I, I think 
one thing you said too <clears throat> about like willingness. Um, I've met people who are younger than me, same age as me and older than me. I've met some who are wanting to learn and are eager to, to get like deeper into the word. And then I've met people who it's just like, Jesus loves me and that's all I need to know. But it's, it's like that you're, you're going to have people in every category who will have both mindsets. So to say, to say that, um, all of, all of this generation is this way does a huge disservice to those who aren't that way. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it really comes even like your question about like mentoring, I think it really does come down to if somebody in our generation is seeking you out to be their mentor, that alone is like a, like a a red flag saying like, okay, this person's looking for it. They're eager for it. Maybe I'll, I'll develop it. You know what I mean? If that makes sense. Well, yeah, I, I wouldn't use the word red flag. I would, I would, because that's a negative connotation. <laughs> I, yeah, I was like, yeah, not red flag. I was like, what, what? Yeah, no, but I would white, say, white yeah, flag? that's, that's a, well, it's just, it's a, it's a strong, it's a strong indi- indicator. It's, it's definitely, you know, a sign that there's something going on there. And uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and we should be, we should be paying attention to those opportunities and, uh, you know, and, and seizing those opportunities, uh, the, the, the fear that people my age and older start to have is if I start handing all this stuff off, who am I going to be as a person? So we should never tie our identity into our ministries. And I don't know if you've ever shared with Houston at all about any of this, Aaron, but back in 2015, um, I went on a leave of absence uh, for an extended time because I, I went through burnout. And uh, and so, you know, you go through that kind of an experience and you, you part of the learning of that experience is ministry can't be your identity. It can't define who you are, because if it does, then you don't know who you are if you're not the pastor of the church. And um, and so, you know, I really had to face the question, who is Mark Roulet if he's not Pastor Mark? And, you know, I learned a lot from that. I grew, a lot grew out of that. But people my age, I think, well, if I hand all this stuff off, then what's my function in the kingdom? And, <laughs> you know, a little funny story. I, I remember being at a pastor's conference one time, and this is the first time I experienced this. This is three or four years ago. And I uh, went out to lunch with a bunch of, you know, more millennial-aged people, and um, and we sat down and stuff and conversations are going on. And for the first time ever in my life, I started to experience this feeling that nobody at the table was interested in what I had to say. That I was that I was a non-entity at the table because I was older and didn't have anything to contribute to their conversation. And it was the freakiest feeling because you know, my, my hair might be gray, but I still feel young inside, you know, <laughs> and I'm sitting there and I go like, what's up with this guy? It's like, I have, I, I've got stuff to contribute here. <laughs> and, and older people feel this fear that they're going to be marginalized. And, and, and in our society, in general, the older you are, 
the more marginalized you are. Um, you know, in, in other cultures, uh, elders are held with great respect. And it's interesting because in Leviticus 19, there's a verse in Leviticus that says, stand up in the presence of the elderly and show respect for the aged. Fear your God. I am the Lord. Like, so the fear of God is attached with respecting older people, right? And our society is like, put them in a home, get them out of your hair. Uh, you know, they don't get it. They don't understand, but they've lived life, you know? And so I had, it, it was really weird. And I thought, okay, so is this the beginning of the end of my significance in the kingdom of God? I really had to wrestle with that. And I think that's why sometimes people of our age are a little bit clingy and it, and it's wrong. It's, you know, I'll be the first to admit it's, it's wrong because then what you do is you create that, that, that disconnect between the generations. I shouldn't be clinging because that means you have nothing to grab onto. I should be, I should be, you know, sharing, sharing until it's handed off. Right. Like yeah. Moses, the Lord said to Moses, give Joshua some of your authority so that the people will come and go at his command. So he gave him some authority. And then when Moses was dead, then God said to Joshua, okay, dude, you're going to take them into the promised land. So there was a progressive generational handoff there, the baton pass. Mm -hmm. So just so yeah. that you guys understand, a lot of times the, the struggle with us is, is, is the fear of a loss of, of significance or the loss of being productive in the kingdom of God. Whereas when I've heard millennials ask, uh, one particular thing they, they, they had asked, like, what do millennials need most in the kingdom? You know, and they said, we need the older people to give us their wisdom, encourage us, strengthen us, pray for us, you know, help us keep our head screwed on straight, like all that kind of stuff. And so our role changes. It's not less significant. It might be less visible, but it's not less significant. Mm -hmm. And that's the adjustment we have to make. And if we can make that adjustment, I think we can build something really healthy. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. What's, what's something and yeah, I, I want to go here. What's something that us as the younger generation can do from your perspective, um, that would help bridge that gap um, because I think that, you know, we've spent a lot of time saying, you know, like the disconnects between the two, um, and you've shared a lot of perspectives that, that are really healthy and, and helpful. Um, but I want to know, um, like some steps that we can take. Cause I, I think that a lot of times too, we've been a little bit disrespectful because we don't want the wisdom because it's not new. And so are there some steps that we can take to help bridge that gap between the two generations? Hmm. I, I think, I think the, the first thing that comes to mind is be teachable. Uh, you know, just because you have new ideas doesn't, doesn't mean that they're automatically all the right ones. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we all should be willing to fail forward, which is okay. But I think, I think where my generation struggles is where somebody walks in and begins to talk like they've already got it all figured out. And you know that they haven't even been around the mountain one time yet. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think there's a, there's a teachability there. I think there's, there's an issue of wanting to hear but wanting to be heard that needs to go be, be reciprocal, number one. Se second thing that comes to mind 
uh, is just the concept of faithfulness when it's not convenient. Mm. Gosh. Uh, it's it's this issue of man you know what if it fits my calendar i'll serve but a dude i you know what i got other things um you know the the people who built the people who built the boat the people who the people who built the buildings the people who laid it they laid their lives down and they sacrificed and sometimes they feel like somebody walks in like jesus said to his disciples and he didn't mean it in a bad way but he said to his disciples you are reaping where you have not sown. Other people have done the hard work and you are reaping from their labor. And mm. I think part of the message behind that was, so don't you don't start thinking it's all about you. Mm. And 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 so sometimes my generation feels like you guys is 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 is, is a servanthood of convenience. And I think that that's for us a real challenge. It's like you know, no, we, we, we suffer. We, we bled to make this happen. And if you're not willing to bleed and if you're not willing to, you know, to miss a, to miss a sporting event on a Sunday morning in order to make this happen, then, you know, don't tell me that you're going to go out and change the world. <laughs> so that's, I hope yeah. I don't sound cynical, but I mean, no. that's, that's experience. No, that's, that's true. That speaks to me really deeply because that's something that I struggle with. Um, serving when it's it's good on my calendar and also not respecting um you know what the older generation has paved the way i'm reaping what they've sown into um and i i feel like i've done a really poor job throughout my young christian walk of just saying well this is about what i want this is about convenience <clears throat> convenience for me and so <clears throat> that's really convicting when you say that so i appreciate you sharing that with me and and even if it does, there's going to be people who watch this, like maybe who feel the way I did that, that hit kind of hard, <laughs> but well, I'm glad that, no, I'm glad that you shared that. That was really good for me to hear. Thank you. Yeah. Well, and, yeah, I, uh, I was just going to say, I, I don't know if it's a Canada versus us thing, but, uh, I know for myself, I, and not, a, there are definitely times where I've, I've realized like, well, this is not, I'm not making this what it's supposed to be. Um, but in a lot of aspects, even in like new jobs and things like that, um, even in, in areas where I know I may be, I may have knowledge in that area, I'll still approach it in a very passive way. I'll still say like, well, I don't know what I'm doing, you know, when, when I might know a little bit of what I'm doing. So I'll, I'll try and, I'll try and do exactly that. I'll try and I'll try and be teachable in, in every area. Um, but no, I fully agree. There are times where you step back and realize like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I could have done better there. Or I was making that about me and I didn't realize it in the moment. So, yeah. Uh, you know, a, a pastor friend of mine, he's, he's a few years ahead of me, uh, shared this with me one time and I, I kind of got a kick about it uh, out of it. He said, you know, he said, when I was in my 20s, he says, I knew everything. He says, and when I got in my 30s, I started thinking that I might not know everything. When I got into my 40s, I realized that I didn't know nearly as much as I thought I did. When I got into my 50s, I started realizing I don't know a whole lot about, about much. He says, when I get to my 60s, I figure I probably won't know anything about anything. <laughs> 
<laughs> but <That's funny. laughs> it, it's it's like the more we know, and that's the wisdom piece. The more we know, the more we realize that what we think we know is is not really that squared away. Mm-hmm. You know, the commitment piece is this. You know, Andrew and I had this conversation oh a few years back. And we were talking about worship. You were talking about worship without good, solid depth to it and how that, you know, and and worship should have a repentance component to it. It should have a transformative component. Don't just make me feel good. And we were we were just to use modern language to a certain degree. We were talking about worship. And I would say the same thing with commitment here. There's a difference between being the bride of Christ and being the mistress of Christ. Ooh. <laughs> Yeah, that's right? true. Mm-hmm. Because the the because what when 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 you're being the mistress of Christ, you're just going to him for what you can get. Get your needs met, get your right or you're serving him for what you can get. But mm-hmm. when you're the bride of Christ, you're in for the, you're in for the whole thing. Yeah. And I think that that we have created mistress worship uh in our society. I'm not again I love it all too, but 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 a lot of times we behave more like the mistress of Christ in our worship. And I'm not talking about millennials. I'm talking about across the board. And I think sometimes our serving God can be very much like a mistress relationship rather than a bride relationship. Mm -hmm. That's good. I've never heard that before. Yeah, no, that's, it's super accurate. Yeah, that is. It, It makes me just saying it because it makes me have to go back and ask myself, you know, how committed is my relationship with God, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, that's, it's the reality of it. Yeah, it makes me think of the episode that we had on prayer with Nathan. A lot of times we're just going to God for things that we can get from him. You know, God, I need this. God, I need that. God, will you do this? God, will you do that? And we don't actually spend time glorifying him in our prayers. Mm-hmm. We just, and the times that we do pray, we're just asking him for things. So, yeah, that's true. That's yeah. true. Um, I um, I don't know how much time you guys have left. I'm going to have to jump off here in probably about five minutes, if that's okay. Yeah, uh, I'm, uh, I'm actually going to have to do the same. The boys are going nuts downstairs. And Pastor Mark, your video, I don't know if it's the same for you, Houston. It's I been frozen I... for a long time. Yeah, <laughs> okay. Oh, is that right? I've been looking. Oh, there you there are. Oh, okay, oh, so at, at my at my end... Um, Layton, uh, Layton, Houston has been has been solid the whole time, and Aaron's been freeze and go. Oh so, my goodness! Well, at yeah. least we're only using this for the audio. Yeah, the audio's been crisp. It's been great. Yeah, so, yeah, see, the norm- audio's been good. Yeah. Normally, we would be using your video, but because we live relatively close, well, if this if the file isn't too big, um, you could always drop it in the we transfer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, well, because we have a paid account, it it can be up to twenty gigs. So. All right. Oh, How much beautiful. is it a month? Uh, I think like ten bucks or something like that. Oh, See, Houston, I told you it wasn't yeah. that much. Yeah. Oh my it's, gosh, well, yeah, that's yeah. what we're it, gonna use. It's it's not big money. No, it's not. Yeah, big. we should do that then. It's it's not like a paid Zoom account. Well, even a paid Zoom account is two hundred bucks a year, so it's not. Terrible. That's not bad either. Yeah. Well, and USD. What is that? Like eight bucks for the. The week yeah. 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 Well, it might be 10 US. I mean, I might be quoting USD for that. Oh, okay. Gotcha. <laughs> so yeah. listen, before we get off, um, would it be okay with you guys for me to just pray for you, for your generation? 
Yeah. And for mine, for that matter, we desperately needed to. Absolutely. I don't know if you got to do. I I know you pray, but I mean, I don't know if you guys do that online or not. So. Yeah. Yeah, we do. We have, we've done it on a lot of the episodes now. So. Yeah. Yeah. I for me, I mean, we got to, you know, however you chop this up to make it, to make it, it's, it's best. The important thing is in my own heart is that, um, you know, we, it, it needs to be what, what, what God wants to touch people's hearts with is what needs to happen. That's, that's, that's gotta be the takeaway. The takeaway, mm-hmm. it's gotta be more than just a cool conversation. It's gotta be, Lord, what are you going to do? What do you want to do in our hearts and in our lives? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, cool. You okay with me to do that then? Go yeah. for it. Yes, please. All right. Father, thank you. Thank you for this conversation that we've been able to have. Thank you for Houston and for Aaron. Thank you for guys who love you and serve you and pursue you and are willing to to put it out there and step out there. And uh, God, I just thank you for those kinds of hearts. And I thank you that in their generation, you're raising up many with intense hearts for you, Lord God, people with zeal fervor and also a desire to be anchored in your word and anchored in your truth. Lord, I just pray for the connecting of generations, Lord, that that you would teach us to live, you know, with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to live those connections, Lord, that my generation would commend your works to the next, Lord, that we would be baton passers and not inhibitors, Lord, that they would be learners and growers and, and not uh, mavericks, and Lord, that in all of this, that uh, that that Jesus, you would be honored and glorified in it, God. Uh, Father, we pray that whatever misconceptions, uh, wrong judgments, even the curses that we've spoken over each generation, Lord, we repent for that. And Lord, we just ask you to clean up our mouth and clean up our attitude about the other generation. And Lord, that we would begin to bestow honor and bestow blessing, Lord God, and that we would begin to celebrate what is unique and what each brings to the table, that together, Lord, we bring the kingdom of God to the earth, Lord, and we thank you for that. We thank you. It all comes from the work on the cross and the work of your spirit in our lives, so we give you honor and glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 And um, and I've been calling you Pastor Mark the whole time. I hope that's okay, and not just Mark. I don't I don't know which one you go by, but I just want to say that Aaron has told me quite a few things about you know how great of a man that you are, and as many great things as he said. I mean, just sitting down with you for this episode, that just getting to know you and hear your heart on different things. I'm so grateful to get this opportunity to sit and and, and meet with you. Um, this really meant a lot to me. And I've learned a lot from it. I can't wait to watch it through again. And I don't know, you're just, you're just a really big blessing in, in more ways than you probably know for me. Just sitting down for the hour and a half that we have or two hours, it's been a big blessing. So thank you so much. Well, that's, that's awfully kind of you. I, like I said at one point, I, I, I'm just me. I just be myself. And, you know, whatever it is, you're getting who I am. And, and, and if, that, if that helps and strengthens, that, that's, that's really awesome. The honor, I mean, I, I was honored when, you know, when Aaron said, hey, would you would you do this? I thought, oh, man, I was hoping that they would come kind of like I, I'm super honored to be part of this. And and I just love what you guys are doing. So I really appreciate that as well. Thank you so much. All right. Wake up and I get it. I get it. Wait from zero to infinity. 
know you feel it, know you feel it. This is my time now. It ain't finished till it's finished. Still in my zone. Yeah. Still on my face, yeah. I've been crying out to ya, yeah, yeah.